Hello and welcome to the Simple Faith Podcast. I'm your host, Dave Betts, and together with my wife, Sharia, we are exploring all the things that make our faith what it is. We're trying to lean into some of those difficult conversations, but importantly, we're trying to avoid some of those unnecessarily churchy or intellectual words. You see, we believe that you can have difficult conversations about complex things without using the unnecessarily academic words. We want to strive for an authentic Christianity for normal people. And we're glad you're here. I'm really excited about the next two episodes. We've got a bit of a double whammy planned that we've actually been looking forward to since we started this podcast way back in April last year. Today and next week, we're talking about creation and the flood. What are the different views of creation? What what are the views around the flood? What about dinosaurs? How old is the earth? We're, we're going to ask all those questions today. We recognize that this is a controversial conversation, but we think it's an important conversation to have in the right spirit, in the right tone. And we'll talk more about that in a minute. Uh, but first, I'm so, so pumped to be joined by my friend, Dr. Sam Melia. Now, I'm going to read his uh, bio for you because it's pretty cool. Sam has a PhD in geomorphology from Royal Holloway University in the UK. Now, Sam is a friend of mine and I forget what it's called. Geomorphology is basically, it's like a really intense thing about rocks. He's got a good, big passion about rocks, haven't you, Sam? <laughs> I, I do. I do indeed. Uh, yeah, I, uh, long short, I study how rocks and the planet's surface has changed over time and how it's, how it's developed. And so that's what I've been doing for the past four or five years. Yeah, it's awesome. It's great to have you here, to have someone who is an expert in your field, uh, a doctor in your field. Uh, in Sam's spare time, he's a lover of gardening, uh, virtual reality gaming, and also bread making. Uh, so he's a bit of an eclectic guy. And <laughs> uh, you want to tell us a bit about your bread making? Because that's, I mean, what's going on there? My bread making? Well, I've... Uh... I wasn't even prepared to talk about my bread baking. I've got all sorts of stuff about <laughs> creation and things written down. Um, I, I think my parents taught me how to bake when I was very small, or at least ba- bake bread. I'm no good at baking desserts or anything like that. But um, yeah, it, I think it's a, it's, a, it's a great skill to have. I was one of the people who jumped into trying to make sourdough at the beginning of the whole pandemic uh, and gave up after, say, about two weeks. Because you've got to keep feeding it and keep it alive. And it's basically like having a Tamagotchi. Except, uh, <laughs> except it wastes a lot of flour. <laughs> now, for our younger audiences, uh, hopefully you know what a Tamagotchi is. I, I really, really dream that you do. But uh, a Tamagotchi was this little pet, virtual pet that people used to carry around. And yeah. I was personally really into Digimon. Um, yeah, I was a Digimon. Where you'd get, your, you'd get your almost getting into a fight with a kid because mine killed his. And so, you know, that's the kind of world that we grew up in. Uh, hopefully you knew what a Tamagotchi was. If, if not, I'm so, I'm so yeah, sorry. Where we came from. But we're going to talk about creation. <laughs> Speaking of uh, digital monsters and so on, we're going to talk about creation and the flood. So this week we want to focus on creation. We will delve probably a little bit into the flood because they kind of link together. Uh, but we want to begin this podcast with a mm. caveat. So what we want to say right from the start is we don't know all the answers. Anyone that tells you that they do, I think, is wrong. <laughs> they, they, they might be right in their assumptions, but they're wrong if they think they know for sure. We just don't know definitively what the answers are. We can come to informed conclusions. But as far as how the earth was created and uh, the realities of the flood, we can only speculate at this point. And that's okay. We can come up with informed opinions. Uh, as we talk about creation and the flood, we really we want to talk about the things that that really matter, don't we, Sam? Yeah, 
Yeah, well, ex- exactly. I mean, the thing God has really taught me from the get-go is if you if you have the ability to say I don't know, <laughs> you can be teachable, and He can teach you. <laughs> Uh, yeah. And so and so that that's been uh, kind of fairly core to my relationship with God as I've gone on a journey of learning and understanding and asking, you know, the big questions such as how God made the world. And, you know, what does that look like in the day to day of when we look outside, at, you know, the mountains and the oceans and things. And uh, it's really guided me a lot on the work that I've been doing. So, yeah, I'm just so excited for this conversation as we have tried to do with most of the subjects that we've tackled we're trying to come at it with humility and give you the best response we can uh, recognizing that you might differ from our opinion and and that's okay as long as you can root it in what the bible teaches that's really important so uh, we're going to take a quick break and then we'll jump into our first conversation about creation Okay, so let's talk about creation. Now, from the outset, we want to make a number of uh, assumptions or presuppositions. We want to lay a foundation that we're we're all starting from so that we're on the same page, right? So, for example, firstly, we are going to make the assumption, the presupposition that God exists. If you don't believe that God exists, this conversation may not be too fruitful for you, uh, but it's it's important. Otherwise, we have to try and argue that God exists before we even get to this stuff. Secondly, we want to assume, we're going to make the assumption that God created the universe out of nothing. So uh, the the Latin term for this is ex nihilo. I want you to be aware of that because it might come up when you read about it, but actually we'll just say God created the universe out of nothing because we're not into churchy and intellectual words, right? Uh, Number three, we're going to make the assumption that there was a flood of some sort, that the flood in Genesis 6 actually happened. Now, we don't know whether it was uh, local or global. We'll talk about that. Do we know? That's the question. We'll talk about that in a minute. And uh, number four, uh, we want to make the assumption, the presupposition that the Bible is trustworthy and accurate. Okay, so we've talked about that in previous podcasts. I did a podcast episode with Simon Argent called How Can I Trust the Bible? And uh, more recently, we looked at some of the contradictions in the Bible and recognized actually a lot of those contradictions. In fact, I would argue all of those contradictions are easily explained when you take into uh, account some of the cultural and chronological details of the past and all that stuff. So we're making those assumptions. Firstly, that God exists, that God created the universe out of nothing, uh, that there was a flood of some sort, and that the Bible is trustworthy. We're starting there. So hopefully, as you listen to this, we're all on the same page here. What we differ on, what many people differ on is, is the details, is the reality of that stuff. How does it mm. look? So uh, how did God create the, the world? How did the flood happen? That's, that's what we're talking about today. So mm-hmm. Sam, uh, th- basically, there are two main views of creation, aren't there? Yeah. Yeah. So um, you, can, you can generally split the uh the the two general ideas into whether the earth is old so perhaps about four and a half billion years old or the earth is new or or young so the earth might perhaps be only a few thousand years old Mm. um and so then you can break these down and make it more granular and there are certain kind of sub interpretations in there but yeah those are the two main views amongst christians at least yeah so if you were to take you could think of it almost like a, a kind of an organizational chart. You know, at the top, you have mm. old earth, new earth. Well, probably no, you have creation. Yeah. Then you have old earth yeah. and new earth. And then you can split either, both of those into different categories too, or mm-hmm. mainly the old earth view, really. So the old earth mm-hmm. view, the two kind of predominant views would be 
something called evolutionary creationism, or sometimes it's referred to as theistic evolution. It's hard to escape some of mm. those terminologies, but we'll talk about that view in just a second. And the other view is kind of gap theory. Those are two predominant old earth views amongst Christians. So let's mm. talk about evolutionary creationism. What's that, Sam? Yeah, so uh, it's effectively taking the opening passages of Genesis and, and treating it as a, as a story, as, a, as an analogy for kind of what, what God really did. And so it's putting the kind of the broad and uh, the broad understanding of natural evolution, as, as Dar- Charles Darwin wrote about it, of um, microorganisms becoming larger organisms, becoming kind of uh, plants and animals and eventually humanity arising out of that. Um, and it's uh, combining that understanding with the kind of the story that's written at the beginning of Genesis. Mm, yeah, exactly. Now, evolutionary creationism is very interesting. It's really good in the sense that it lines up with exactly what secular science teaches. But there are some huge, huge challenges with it as well, which we'll, we'll come back to in a minute, because I think we want to dig in a bit more uh, closely to that. There's also some, some challenges with the science as well. And we'll, we'll talk about that, that some of these things are a bit more maybe debatable than is often construed, often communicated to people. Uh, and that's one of the great things about having a PhD geologist here is that we can talk <laughs> about some of this stuff. But the other view... We can certainly discuss it. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but let's talk about the other view. The other view is gap theory. So this is the same same as uh, what we talked about before. It's the <laughs> idea that the days aren't literal. But what's really good about this mm. view uh, is that we can see the creation of Adam and Eve as a bit more literal. So it basically, mm. it's the same yeah. thing, but but evolution is taken out of the equation, right? Yeah, it, I think it's it, there's more of a suggestion that God had more of an active hand in... I say the day to day, given given the analogy, uh, but um, in the the day to day of of the kind of the creation. So I know that you can certainly break down the gap theory into kind of uh, even even more mini interpretations. But generally, that between say verse one in the beginning, God creates the heavens and the earth, and then verse two, the earth was without uh, form and void in in Genesis chapter one. That there's a gap in between those two verses of an unspecified amount of time, and that uh, you can then place a gap between the different kind of six days of creation as well. Um, and then at the end, in the sixth day, God intervenes uh, kind of for a, a final time, so to speak, and, and places Adam and Eve in the garden that he spent some time creating. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so some, some key details about this really is that like from, a, from a theological, from a biblical point of view, is that this can account for the science, but also it, it, it accounts for a more literal reading of, of the first few chapters of Genesis, saying that actually Adam and Eve did exist the way it's explained biblically is this idea that uh, the uh, you might have heard this Bible passage before, uh, a day to God is like a thousand years and a thousand years is like a day. It's in Second uh, mm. Peter and Psalm 90 said something very similar. This this idea helps us to understand, oh, okay, maybe the, the day that was used in a figurative sense, that's good. Um, and it does align with science. What's not so good is uh, let's kind of jump into that now. There's some, from a mm. from a biblical point of view, there's something that, there's some challenges to this. So the Hebrew word is this word called yom. Uh, now that word mm. appears over two thousand times in the Old Testament. Now you might remember that the the Old Testament wasn't originally in English; it was actually originally in Hebrew. So looking back to the original meanings of the languages is quite important. But we try not to dwell on the actual word itself, but the meaning of that word. Now. With this word yom, in all the times that it is used in the context with of morning and evening. So in Genesis, it says there was morning and there was evening the first day and so on. Or evening and morning. I forget which way around it is. But mm-hmm. uh, in every mm-hmm. single time it talks about evening and morning, 
it's talking about a literal day or if it says on the sixth day or the fifth day or something like that it's usually it's always in fact talking about a literal day so challenges to this argument from a biblical point of view would say hang on it's it's not talking figuratively here it's talking literally so are we saying that this passage is lying to us what's mm. what's going on here is, mm. is, is it allegory is it uh, allegory is, a, a kind of, is another word for for story really so that's a mm. challenge Mm. And that's something we need to definitely keep in mind, this sense of old earth. And then, like, so from a biblical point of view, there's a few challenges there. If if the earth is really old, we're reading a lot into a passage that it's not saying. We have to, we have to kind of make a lot of, ironically, yeah. we have to fill in a lot of gaps ourselves. And it's called the gap theory. <laughs> uh, and same with evolutionary creationism or theistic evolution. There's a lot of challenges there. I wonder, maybe we could just talk about some of the, the problems with theistic evolution. Uh, you know what? I do want to just mm. say one thing. Yeah. In our context, you know, I'm, I'm in Canada right now. I'm in a North American context. I have been for a while. And I have to say that the majority of people I've come across are new earth creationists. Whereas in the UK, in Christian circles, I mean, uh, and, they, and in the UK, the majority of people I came across were old earth creationists. If you're listening and you're an old earth creationist, you often make the assumption that any new earthers are you know are weird it's kind of put onto a par with like flat earth <laughs> believers and it's i want to tell you it's it's not as cut and dry as that and if if that's the outcome we can get to from this this discussion i might have even said it before because i'm really passionate about this but if that's the outcome that we can mm. get to in this discussion is that you say actually both these views you know are are legit mm. we just want to be we want to be cautious there so let's talk about some of the challenges with so, theistic evolution yeah. sorry well I'll, I'll i'll just interject there briefly before certainly we should be able to cohabit with each mm. other. We should be able to uh, have, have views that differ without uh, having those kind of endless quarrels that, that Paul talks about in one of his letters in the New Testament and um, uh, and kind of getting hung up on turning things into issues when we can all unite over the fact that the gospel is what you know makes us brothers and sisters in Christ. And so these things are things that are great for us to talk mm -hmm. about and very interesting and kind of very kind of intellectually stimulating, but that we don't want to get wrapped up in dividing ourselves in such a way as to cause yeah. trouble. Yeah, so good. Now mm. tell me about theistic evolution. Yeah. Let's talk about that. Um, there are some problems with it. What are the problems mm. with theistic evolution? Well, I think you could possibly... One of the big questions that I certainly have when thinking about theistic uh, evolution is where the line is drawn between what we can generally view as the animal kingdom and then what becomes God's people, starting with Adam and, and Eve, and I guess that there's just a, a big question there about what separates them. Who was Adam's father? And was he not a person? Uh, you know, was he what would generally be described as an ape or something like that? And that that's certainly a question that that uh, that I would I would ask about that particular theory. Yeah, I have some really passionate thoughts about this, actually. Uh, I see. I mm, go on. So when we talk about evolution, often we are talking about um a combination of what we would often refer to as microevolution or macroevolution, and sometimes different oh, terminology yeah. is used. You might have heard it as natural selection as opposed to, mm -hmm. you know, uh, a kind of a species jump. So uh, there's when we refer to evolution, often we kind of throw it all into one big collection. Now, what I want to say from the outset is that people with uh, issues with evolution very, very, very rarely would argue that natural selection or um, microevolution is is wrong. Is that there's any mm -hmm. issues with that? And that's the idea that you know, say a dog 
can be bred into different species of dog or spiders mm. can have thousands of different species or uh you know humans there's differences in humans that come from natural selection over time you know tall mm. people get taller if you if they marry more tall people it's natural selection <laughs> no people are arguing uh, very few people would argue with that uh, so that's not that's not what we're talking about and actually um mm. Interestingly, when we're talking about Darwin, we often think of his book as entitled On the Origin of Species, right? Um, but actually, mm. the original title was On the Origin of the Species by Means of Natural Selection. You know, and that's, that's mm. not something that uh, very many Christians would, would argue. It's not a popular view. That would be a, 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 mm. a very out there view. The mm. issue is usually around this idea of macroevolution, this idea that, um, that a monkey became a human or that, you know, mm -hmm. uh, a germ became a rhinoceros, you know, those kinds of things. That's what most people would have challenges with when they challenge evolution. So I want to make sure we're kind of splitting mm. those terms. It's not yeah. that we're against yes. evolution in general. It's, uh, mm. it's challenges when people have those views with macro evolution. Now, mm -hmm. uh, I want to talk about the, the theological implications of macro evolution. So that sounds, that's a, that's a mm. technological thing, isn't it? I want to talk about what the Bible says about monkeys becoming humans <laughs> let's let's try and mm. you know, not use these big, bigger terms the the, yeah. the problem is sam you you kind of alluded to it adam mm. and eve are described as the first man and the first woman if they evolved to become adam and eve that would mean that they wouldn't be the first man and the first woman there would be tons of generations of humans all over the place now that's a really big problem for a very mm. important reason you see the gospel tells us the good news of Jesus in Genesis 3, it tells us at the beginning of this gospel that Adam and Eve were the first people to sin and that humans, humanity inherited that sin from Adam and Eve. Now, because of that, we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And the only way that we can have hope is by trusting in Jesus who died for our sins, who took the punishment on his shoulders on our behalf so that we could uh, be, uh, be free from that sin. And because of Jesus's death and resurrection and ascension, we can be free from sin and we can be back in that relationship with God. Now that's, that's the gospel. That's the foundation of the Christian faith. Now, if we didn't mm. inherit that sin from Adam and Eve, that would mean that we could live technically, we could live lives free from sin, which means that we wouldn't need Jesus. That's problematic, but it, it goes further as well. In Romans 5, this is one of the really key passages. Uh, Paul, one of the apostles, he says this, just as through one human being, sin came into the world and death came through sin. So death has come to everyone since everyone has sinned. Although sin was in the world since there was no law, it wasn't taken into account until the law came. But death ruled from Adam until Moses, even over those who didn't sin in the same way Adam did. Adam was a type of the one to come. And it, it gets a bit confusing, when, you, especially if you're just listening to this and not reading it through. Uh, but uh, it's uh, let's kind of just, I want to scroll down here. Uh, if death ruled because of one person's failure, those who receive mm. the multiplied grace and the gift of righteousness will even more certainly rule in life through the one person of Jesus Christ. So Jesus is often described as the second Adam. So whereas death came into the world through one person, eternal life came into the world through one person. If death, if evolution was a thing, then death had to have been in the world before Adam and Eve. So if death and sin were in the world before Adam and Eve, then how could Jesus take the punishment for it on our behalf? And, and mm. if Paul is calling him the second Adam, is that mean, does that mean that the first Adam wasn't real? And there, there's some really challenging biblical issues with 
evolution. Now, of course, we want to look at what the science says mm. as well. As people who trust the Bible, with that assumption that we trust the Bible, we need to look at that and say, oh, that's a real problem. How do, how do we reconcile that with what the science says? And, and I guess that's, that's mm. something else that we should talk about here is that the science just doesn't seem to be definitive about macroevolution. Right, Sam? Mm. Well, I mean, I'm not a biologist, and so certainly many people who could speak with uh, kind of greater authority on this uh, than I can. But as with all science today, there are some kind of fundamental assumptions being made, and they're often drawn together on kind of various foundations of, of evidence that I suppose everything is built upon the kind of, you know, the triangle of assumptions that have been made. You can have three, three points of evidence, but there's, al- there's always other ways to interpret it. And there's always other ways to 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 develop this. And so, one thing I would say to uh, to anybody who's kind of made their mind up about kind of this this either or situation on the, this side of the coin is that we're always discovering new things about the way that animals have have kind of evolved in, in, within microevolution into macroevolution and, and discovering new things. And so, the story isn't over. And so, uh, yeah, certainly there are there are new ways to interpret it. Or, or at least there are not alternate ways. For yeah, to. there are some some challenges here, aren't there, on both sides. So we've got, uh, let's summarize mm-hmm. where, what we've talked about so far. We've got um, an old earth view mm-hmm. and a new earth view of creation. And we've really focused in this section mm-hmm. on the old earth view. So the, the theistic evolution or the evolutionary creationism view, which basically uh, that says mm-hmm. that God caused evolution. Now we're talking about there being some serious problems with that from a theological point of view. Uh, we also want to recognize mm-hmm. that there is some, uh, evidence issues with macro evolution with with this idea that we've jumped between mm. species and we'll probably delve into some of that a bit more in a minute uh, but then mm-hmm. uh, there's also this gap theory which is saying that the earth is just really old and that it's billions of years old and that will be a really interesting discussion that we'll have again on the other side of the new earth discussion so uh sam this is where i'm really looking forward to your geological insights coming to the fore and and having a conversation (laughs) about that the point before we jump to the next session the point is not to say that you have to believe x or you have to believe y i think what we want to do Mm. is uh, and i'm going to emphasize this again and again what we want you to want to do is highlight that there are some serious challenges to both views and for you to come to an informed opinion and not just assume that something happened because uh someone outside in the secular world has said it has to be that way we have to recognize that actually Mm. god is our final authority the bible is our final authority and we need to reconcile the two and we believe there's a way to do that so with that in mind let's jump to the next section okay welcome back we've just talked about the old earth view now let's talk about the new earth view of creation. So Sam, do you want to tell us a little bit about the new earth view? Yeah, so the new earth view is is taking certainly more literal or word for word uh interpretation of kind of the the creation passage in the Bible that God did make the world in six literal days and he rested for a literal day uh, and that the genealogy that follows from Adam through to Abraham and then Can Adam I just pause through you there? David and then David. What's the genealogy? Jesus. Yes. Uh, good question. A genealogy is effectively a list of names of a father and their son and their son and their son and their son. And you can trace them uh, kind of through their family history. So if you've ever looked at your family tree, you're looking at Great. a genealogy. You're looking at kind of uh, who your parents were and then who their parents were and who their parents were. And so you'll find a number of these in the Bible. And they were written down uh, with the aim of identifying 
who Jesus was and where he came from. Certainly in the opening, in the opening of the New Testament, we see this genealogy of the, tracing Jesus back to King David. And then we can find those similar geologies and genealogies in the Old Testament, bringing us from Adam through to mm-hmm. King David and, and, and onwards in that. Great. So, yeah. so, and so what you were saying there, sorry to interrupt you, you were saying that the, the, those family mm. trees, those genealogies were, yes. uh, you know, are, yeah. are literal, you know, in the sense that this is a real, these are real generations. Yeah, that, that's, that's the interpretation. Yeah. Uh, so they were written down for a reason that we can trace from real people through to real people and that um, we can tra- trace their lineage. And that's certainly the interpretation of, of the, um, uh, uh, kind of the the new earth perspective on this and uh, many people who who believe in the kind of the new inter- new earth interpretation uh, can use have used these ge- genealogies to estimate generally how long people have been around in the world and then adding the you know the six days prior to that um they can estimate more more or less how how long ago mm. god made the world um and so that's that's purely kind of depending on from the get-go depending on kind of the the validity of the word as God is something to be taken literally, certainly in the opening. Yeah. And so there are some really good things with this view. Of course, as with both views, Mm. there are good things and Mm. bad things. The the obvious good thing with the new earth view is that it takes uh, the literal parts of the Bible, literally the narrative sections. Now the Bible is a Mm. a complex mix of different genres and uh, different types Mm -hmm. of, of literary styles of writing styles. And because of that, we have to be careful how we interpret the Bible. But what we're saying is actually in the beginning, it really looks like Genesis. The beginning of Genesis is in a narrative style, a prose style. In other words, it's not taken to be a story Mm. in the same way as we'd see later on. Uh, This is good because it makes creation line up with what the Bible says. That's a really healthy thing. There's none of the, the theological, the biblical challenges that evolution poses. There are a ton of uh, good things that way that we can look at the Bible and we can say, yep, this lines up Mm. with our view of creation. There are challenges, of course. And Mm -hmm. some of you are listening and some of you are thinking, oh my goodness, how could you possibly believe in a new earth creation? There are are challenges. It doesn't line up with the science. It doesn't under, or Mm. or let me rephrase that. It doesn't Mm. line up with the traditionally accepted assumptions that are made in science. Mm -hmm. There are a few things. This is a, this is a, an, an out there view for uh, secular believer, uh, secular people, atheists. Uh, so, so that's mm. that's a problem. So let's delve into the science. This is where I, I, I'd love for you to to talk a little bit. Mm. So, I guess let's yeah. talk about the age of the Earth because if we're saying that the Earth is new, what mm-hmm. is the the? How can we believe scientifically that there could be a new Earth? How do how do we come up, come up against that science? Mm. Well. Well, one of the primary ways that uh, the kind of the old Earth view is is kind of continued and carried over is due to something uh, with a long title called radioisotope dating. And that's effectively looking at different molecules and how they break down over time. So, for example, you can have uh, different kinds of lead isotopes. And that that is more or less I can broadly describe it as how many particles, how many neutrons and protons and electrons are within a, a molecule of, of lead. And you can generally look at how those break down and the rate at which they break down and say, well, then they've been around for this long. That's the general gist about radioisotope dating. And people would use that to pick up a rock, say, uh, and count how much of a particular broken down molecule, a particular is- isotope is in it and say, well, it has been in the world for 
4.3 billion years or, or, or certainly much less. And there's a variety of different methods of radioisotope dating uh, that, that people use. Now, as with all of these kind of methods, there are some big assumptions that radioisotope dating make. Uh, the first of which is that the rate of decay, the rate that, for example, lead breaks down has been constant because uh, the, um, the direction you're taking towards it is if we can, if a car is slowing down at a constant rate, you can find out how long it's been slowing down for. But if a car has been speeding up and slowing down, you, you, you can't tell. And it's a, it's a similar thing when looking at radioisotopes. Another assumption is that you haven't added in extra, any extra bits of, you know, this lead isotope or this, you know, um, uh, uranium or, or argon or potassium. You haven't added in any of these extra isotopes. And finally, that you can estimate what was already there in the in the rock, how how much of a certain isotope was there. Um, so with those assumptions, that I can I can probably discuss a little bit about how we can break those down. But we might need to clarify a few bits first. Yeah. Okay. So as someone who is not really up on geology and stuff like that, <laughs> if I'm hearing you right. What you're saying is there's it's not as cut and dry a technique as people often assume. Yeah, that you can certainly you can certainly poke some holes in it. Yeah, well, I mean, let me talk as a, a kind of a bit of a layman, as someone who has no idea about this stuff. So, I, yeah, you know, please. I went to the Grand Canyon with some friends of mine, and uh, I remember uh, there was a plaque on the ground saying something like, "This canyon is 146 million years old." And I remember thinking, mm. "How how can you possibly know that?" How can you possibly mm. know that it's 146 million years old? I get that you could look at the layers, but how could mm. you how could you know for sure mm. that that's I don't know? Oh, look at this bit here. This is this is five million years right here. I, how could you test yeah. that? Because you obviously so, can't go and test it, right? It's not like you can go back in time and and test it definitively. So how could you be no. so sure? Well, you you can't go back in time certainly, and I think that would if we could that would uh, make this podcast a lot shorter. <laughs> um, but um. I can break it down into an analogy if I were to go back to the radioisotope dating and say, imagine that we're looking at an hourglass. And if we were looking at this hourglass and it's already in motion, the sand pouring through from the top chamber into the bottom chamber. And uh, if you're looking to see how fast the um, the sand is pouring into the lower chamber and how much is already in the bottom chamber, you can then count back however many grains of sand and say how long it's been there. So you can go to these rocks in the Grand Canyon and say, I can see so much of this isotope, this sand in the lower chamber. I can see we I can figure out how long it's been pouring into the bottom chamber. And so I can go back and say this is 100 or 200 uh, million years old or so, or, or so on. The assumption, though, is that there was no sand in the bottom half of the hourglass when you started. Um, there was no uh, none of a particular isotope that they're using. So they may have been using um, potassium argon um uh, uh isotope um dating methods or, or or something along those lines there was none of that there when we started and so all the sand that we see in the bottom of the hourglass counts us back to a particular time but if there was already contaminants or other sources of these radioisotopes in the chamber already in the rocks already then counting all of that back and adding it to what we're trying to find out would give us hugely bloated ages in 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 the positive in the millions of years mm. um secondly some some difficulties that we have is that we have to i'll uh, I'm, I'm trying to avoid using long words but using normalize effectively to bring all the data into something that makes sense we can look at all of these numbers and sometimes they can range from a few billion years to a few 
hundreds of thousands to millions of years. And so trying to fit that all on a line can sometimes be a, a big problem. And you're making big assumptions when, when dealing with those kinds of numbers as well. And so you can, based on these assumptions, make some big statements, but ultimately there are some some kind of flaws in in the approach. Mm. And you know, I know this is something that we're going to delve into next week, but of course, mm. if there was a global flood, that would have an impact, mm. wouldn't it? I mean, I would assume it would. Certainly. Yeah, certainly. Um, as a geologist who has studied how water changes and affects and creates rocks, it's it's a big question for me about whether a global flood is likely to have occurred um, and how that might have uh, affected things, how that might have affected the way the, the world formed. And it certainly um, can give us some new ideas about kind of what the landscape that we look at when we see the mm. planet. I have, I do have a uh, an example of kind of an attempt to use radioisotope dating to date something that turned out to be much younger oh. than they were estimating. Okay. So there is a, the, um, in Hawaii, you've constantly got lava flows forming new rock um, there was a, a lava flow in uh, a volcano there in uh, Hualale. <laughs> Can you say it again? Can you say it again? I'm, I'm going to read it. Hualale. Mm. Hualale. Yeah. <laughs> don't, don't quote me on pronouncing that right. But the lava flow happened in 1801. Um, that, that's the important thing. It happened about a little over 200 years ago, and it's recorded that it happened there. But potassium argon radioisotope dating was carried out on this. So they were counting how much argon there was in this that had broken down from potassium. Uh, and they estimated that uh, it was anywhere from b- between 160 million to 2.96 billion years old, a very wide <laughs> yeah. range and something much higher considering that it actually only occurred about 200 years yeah. ago. And so the argument then was, oh, then there has been an introduction of these extra isotopes somewhere and we don't know where they've come from, but that's the numbers we're getting. But there's no way... Uh, in that case, there was um, crystals or minerals, should I say, from elsewhere that had contaminated the lava. But there's no way for us to back that up with other large age ranges that we get where we don't know when they were laid down and can't confirm it. Yeah. Uh, and so that it, it's just a it's just an example of how we can make assumptions, but those assumptions aren't always right. And therefore, um, we have to find other avenues of trying to justify mm-hmm. what we're seeing. And as Christians, there are um, there's some big kind of theological uh, motivations for us to kind of uh, uh, look at the what the word describes and try and uh, uh, see that in what we see yeah. in the world. Sam, that's, that's so good. I, I find it fascinating. It's that that example. Mm-hmm. It's like me looking at someone and saying, "Yeah, well, I think they're between you know like five and ninety five years old." I'm not not really sure. <laughs> it's kind of funny. <laughs> yeah, when actually they were born three days ago. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. JJ, I think J, my son JJ is he might be at 150. Yeah. I'm not quite sure. Anyway, I don't want to. I don't want to uh, make too light of that. But uh, Sam, no, I think sure. you know we're running out of time to discuss this. To be completely frank, mm. but we could talk about this for hours. Yeah. Uh, I, for hours, but who yeah, listen? exactly. I, I think <laughs> all of you. Yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. here's what here's what I want us to take away from this though. Is yes. it's it's this. Uh, there are some challenges uh, with all of these different mm. views. There are assumptions that have to be made. As we started right at the beginning by saying. We we have to recognize that there are challenges and we just don't know the answers. Even the most learned of learned mm. people don't know all the answers when it comes to creation. As much as we yeah. would like to we'd like to find out those answers, some of the some of these answers we just don't know until we get to 
uh, we get to the new heavens and the new earth and we get to find out and we get mm-hmm. to ask those questions of God ourselves, mm-hmm. I, I hope. Yeah. You know. uh, I think- and then and at the same, oh, sorry. Oh, go sorry ahead. Interrupting you. But at the same time, that it's good to ask questions, uh, but more so God values the faith to be able to say, I can trust you and I've got not, not got it figured out. Yeah. And I think that's probably the aim of this and what's certainly the aim in, uh, in all, uh, all of your podcasts, Dave, is uh, to be able to just simply say, I can believe you, God, when I've not figured it out. That's yeah. what simple faith is. Exactly. Um, and so, yeah, that's uh, certainly what we're trying to do here while discussing it. I would, n- I would never dream of alienating somebody for not having <laughs> got it figured out. I, I'm certainly s- still on a journey of learning. Yeah. And if, uh, we all are. Absolutely. I think, yeah. So l- I, let me summarize a little bit of where we've been and then we'll, we'll yeah. end today's episode. I think firstly, uh, you'll be hard pushed, I think, to find clear evidence of species to species uh, leaps in mm. evolution. That's macro evolution. That's a challenge. It's a challenge theologically. It's a challenge in terms of what the Bible teaches for us. Uh, but that is one of the views is that God caused uh, evolution to happen. Mm. The other view is this idea of gap theory, which is that uh, in between those kind of uh, metaphorical days in the Bible, there were millions of years and uh, God did create Adam and Eve at some point, millions and millions and millions of years after the earth was formed. There are some challenges with that as well. Uh, and then there's this new earth view, which uh, theologically is the least challenging, but scientifically is the most challenging in terms of secular science. But mm. we believe that there are some uh, assumptions, some faith jumps, some faith leaps that are made in the scientific community. Uh, it's all a matter of faith. <laughs> mm. Whichever view you subscribe to, it's all a matter of faith. So I would encourage you, if you are an old earther, to treat new earth creationists gently, kindly. <laughs> and if you're a new earth believer, uh, I would encourage you to treat old earth believers kindly and gently yeah, because absolutely. actually what we are striving to do is to give honor and glory to God in what we're, mm. uh, what we're saying and doing. We believe God was in the mix. We're trying to figure out how, but ultimately what we get to are these faith leaps before we get mm. to the facts, faith leaps in all of these places. So yeah, I think that's mm. what I'd say. Sam, is there any last thing you'd want to say yeah. before we finish? Well, uh, sure. Um, I think, uh, maybe if you're and you might be listening to this podcast because you're in a hot debate with some of your friends about it or uh, or, you know, you've been having arguments with with somebody about what your what your opinions are. But I'd probably be tempted to bring you back. There's a proverb. It's in Proverbs 25, 2. And it says it's the glory of God to conceal a matter. But the glory of kings is to search out a matter for God to be able to keep something unknown um, encourages our faith in him. And so it's, it ask yourself, is it bringing you glory to try and have all this stuff figured out? Uh, or uh, should you be kind of looking to direct glory to God in kind of having faith with that? And that, so that, that's just a, a verse I'll leave you with. Great. Thanks, Dr. Sam Melia. Very much appreciate your time. Thank you very much, uh, Dave. Looking forward to next week's discussion, which uh, will be all about the flood. So uh, if you found this helpful in any way, do let us know. Feel free to comment or send us a message Mm. or get in touch with us on social media. Uh, Remember, you can find uh, the show notes at simplefaithpodcast.com or you can watch this video in full. If you're listening to it, you can watch the next videos on YouTube as well. Uh, We love connecting with you. We hope this has been a blessing to you and uh, we will see you very soon. Bye. Bye.